0: Welcome back to the Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about leadership and listening. Donald had the CEO courting him for almost a year before he came on board as head of global operations. Fourteen months later, most of his initiatives had stalled and the executive team that had expected so much from him had mostly turned against him. One comment from a group leader in Hong Kong epitomized Donald's feedback. When Donald was here on his worldwide listening tour, we were the only ones doing any listening. As with many executives, Donald's brain was a fast-firing, dynamic supercomputer linked to an almost compulsive desire to earn his salary through hard work. There was no question that he was smart and dedicated, but he was alienating the very people he needed because of his inability to quiet himself and receive others' ideas. Not surprisingly, his inability to receive came into the room during our coaching. Once, he asked me a question. I began my response by saying I had two thoughts about the topic. As I began explaining my first thought, I could see his own thoughts flashing across his face i was barely halfway through my first idea when he made a comment and then he commented on his comment and he was off and running several minutes later after we'd explored his thinking about my idea i stopped and i asked him if he remembered that i had said there were two thoughts about his original question well sure he said do you know what number two was no he said you haven't told me now the good news was that he actually knew i hadn't told him The bad news was he didn't know why I hadn't told him. He didn't know he'd hijacked the conversation. Did Donald need to become a better listener? Absolutely. But who doesn't? We all give lip service to the fact that we could all improve our listening skills. But in our hearts, we think about ourselves as listeners the way we think about ourselves as drivers. We all think we're better than we really are and that it's the other guy who needs the improvement. I wanted Donald to see that if he could behave differently, he'd get different results. I decided to focus on helping Donald develop just two behaviors. The first behavior I worked on with Donald was this. Create silence and allow the other person to fill it in. Here's how, on the simplest level, this might work in real life. You're at lunch with a friend who's telling you about the executive she reports to. She gets to the end of her anecdote just as you take a bite of food. You nod and make some noise of understanding while you're chewing, but you can't speak. What happens next? She keeps talking. If you'd been able to fill in the silence yourself, she wouldn't have kept talking. In the conversational volley, she was tossing the ball to you. But your silence allowed her to keep the conversational ball, so she came up with the next thing to say herself. Our culture has an almost desperate need to fill in silences. Negotiators and interrogators use this to their advantage. Say nothing, and the other person does all the work for you. Allowing silence is hard. As we practiced together, Donald had trouble simply stopping talking. Then, once he began to get a handle on that, I would intentionally not speak until, not surprisingly, he'd fill in the silence. This whole silence thing was really hard work for him. Then one day, he told me a story about having dinner with his oldest teenage daughter. She'd been telling him some story about a girl in her class. There was a pause. He laughingly admitted to me that he hadn't been thinking about his coaching homework at all. In fact, he said he didn't really notice her pause because he was distracted. His phone wasn't in his pocket, and he was trying to figure out where it was. But then, in the silence, his daughter said, Dad, I'm worried about Jamie, referring to the family's youngest daughter. Now that got my attention, he said, and you can bet I tried hard to listen. How'd you do, I asked. Well, I think I blew it, because at one point she gave me one of those okay dad eye rolls and she stopped talking. I don't know why she clammed up. Did you suggest a solution to her? He brightened up. Yeah, I did, that's right. I told her I thought she ought to talk with Jamie, and I told her what I thought she ought to say to her. I'd forgotten that. He was clearly proud of the advice he'd given her. Well, I hate to tell you, but that's where you blew it, I told him. The second behavior I had wanted to work on with Donald was this. Resist suggesting solutions and keep exploring the problem. Most of us believe we earn our pay by solving problems. That's why we were hired, right? That's what our bosses and our peers and our direct reports want from us, isn't it? That's what our families want from us, too, isn't it? Well, yes, sometimes. It didn't surprise me that as soon as he stopped listening to his daughter talk about the problem and began telling her what she should do about it, she clammed up. I felt pretty certain that at work, Donald had used up any goodwill he'd accrued because he was always suggesting, always solving, always telling. This is where Donald's fast-firing, dynamic supercomputer of a brain was not doing him any favors. If halfway through a direct report's explanation of a problem, Donald leaps in with a solution, the direct report's going to feel unsettled and incomplete even if Donald's solution is spot on. Faced with this sort of rapid-fire, intrusive problem-solving, many people just bring all their problems to the problem-solver and stop thinking for themselves. Other people stop sharing their problems because they want to be able to flex their own problem-solving skills. In either case, reflexive problem solvers like Donald lose goodwill and the power that comes from collaboration. A couple of months ago, I got an email from Donald telling of a success he had had with one of his leaders in Europe. During their telepresence conferences, Donald had created silence and resisted problem solving. As a result, the leader and her team developed a solution that indicated a level of commitment they had never shown before, Donald's new behaviors had gotten him different results. The four-point recap of the situation is this. Number one, most of us think we're better listeners than we really are. Two, most of us are uncomfortable with silence. Three, most of us believe we earn respect and add value by solving people's problems. Number four, When we jump into silences and solve problems too soon, we lose goodwill and collaboration. The two behaviors to help maintain goodwill and a collaborative culture are 1. Create silence and allow the other person to fill it in. 2. Resist suggesting solutions. Spend more time exploring the problem. To say that these two behaviors all by themselves will make you a better listener is true, but it's a tad too simple. To execute those behaviors, you have to bring a high level of self-awareness and self-management to the table, attributes that exemplify the look and sound of leadership. If you're intrigued by the idea of managing how you're perceived by others, some other podcasts you might be interested in are... Building Rapport, Getting Agreement, Listen Without an Agenda, and Owning Miscommunications. Those podcasts can be found on the Essential Communications website, EssentialCom.com. That's EssentialCom with two Ms.com. From our homepage, click the navigation button marked Coaching Tips. That will take you to an archive of all our podcasts where you can search by categories that interest you. From the archive, you can also download PDFs of every tip to save for yourself or to forward to others. Our podcasts are also available through iTunes. Just search for The Look and Sound of Leadership. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.